Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Hey, this is Jerry. And this is Sean. And we have reached the 30th episode of the Great Expectations Podcast. Oh my god, 30. 30. That's terrifying. If only I was 30. Alas, I'm not. Oh! If only you'd known when you asked me that you'd be saddled with me for 30 episodes. Editor's note, hate to do this right out of the shoot, but this is actually episode 31. We recorded this several weeks ago. And then realized we needed time to squeeze our Xmas pod in there. So here you go. A few weeks late. Uh, nobody thought we'd make it this far, but here we are. And we're not alone today. We are joined by a very, very special guest. Someone that I just can't believe agreed to come on this show because I worship the ground he walks on. Oh, and I'm not making that up. This guy, breaks. <laughs> this dude, is my world. I'm talking about Mr. Zach Cruzy. Hi, native of Indiana. Hello, sir. Sorry, I jumped right in. I was so excited to say hello that I could, I just cut right in on your intro. Sorry. <laughs> okay, well that's that's it. You're done. You're, okay. you're introduced. Well, now. see you later. <laughs> that's it. I'm hanging up. People are going to be shocked because normally this goes three hours and, and they're not going to know what to do with the two-minute episode. I guess thanks. See you yeah. next time. It's going to look great for your download numbers when they go to re-download the next one. So. Yeah. Maybe it's broken. I'll try again. Yeah. I think you might have just uh, given us the greatest idea of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so... For those of you who don't know Zach, and there can't be that many because a lot of our listeners come from the EOC forums, where he is a big man on campus, uh, he is also the organizer of the Appleseed Comic Con in scenic Fort Wayne, Indiana. One of my favorite shows. It's true. He talks about it all the time. I do. <laughs> I, mostly to say, Sean, you're stupid that you didn't go with me. Yep. Because when there's... we were hanging out with Starenko last year... And having so much fun, and you were doing, I don't even remember. Chicks. Right. So was Starenko. <laughs> we would have had so yes, much to talk about. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> I can vouch for that. I can personally vouch for that. I will let Zach decide how much detail he wants to go into about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, Zach is also a published comic author uh, that I know of. You've done work on a webcomic that is also published in the Skeptical Inquirer, as you tell me. Mm-hmm. It is <laughs> it is called Mystery Solved, and it's a clever and humorous comic featuring a rotating cast of awesome artists, many of whom I know personally and whose work I appreciate. <laughs> and name drop! <laughs> Without even dropping Shit, a name. Dude. You go ahead and laugh at me, Sorry. bastard. That was really funny. <laughs> We're off to a great start. I'm going to climb under the table. 
And I'm going to let Sean take it from here. No, you can't do that. <laughs> I don't know enough people. He makes me... He, that's because you hide in my basement all day. It's true. Somebody's got to hang out with your kids. Well... While you're off gallivanting with our esteemed guest, hey, Steranko. You think he's going to feel sorry for you? What do you think his kids are doing right now? <laughs> Zach's got my back on this. Yeah, I have no idea what my children are doing are doing right now. I know they're in the house. Comics are important. Yes. Well, so far you're a better parent than every person in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I can at least locate them. I can locate them within 500 feet. Good man. So I feel pretty. I feel pretty good about that. I feel confident in my ability to do that. So the reason I feel comfortable saying that. Comics are important and feel comfortable knowing that Zach has my back on that is because Zach is dedicating his life to the study of the comic book form. It's true. It's true. You are the first legit intellectual academic that we brought on this show that has the weight of degrees to throw at people and say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Which I do all the time. You'd be yes. you'd be surprised how ineffectual just wadding up that piece of paper is. I mean, like, it hits them and it bounces off, and, and like that's it. And like that's all I got. And I cry. They maybe cry. It just depends where it hit them. If it got like in their eye, like they blinked and caught it, and it's stuck in there, just like cutting away. I mean, it it can be messy. So you see why I like him. He's a crier. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big crier. <laughs> oh man, you're my people. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I do is cry. Like 90% of my day, tears. And that probably comes from teaching. Yes, yes. And just just deep personal shame. <laughs> Definitely my people. Yes. So, Zach, why don't you tell us what it is about comic books that you love so much and how you ended up in this esteemed position? Oh, boy, that is... A comics bigwig. That is a long story. Get Strap in and get ready to listen. The next three hours are mine. Um, no, I uh, no, I started reading comics when I was a when I was a wee lad. Uh, my parents bought me my no, my parents bought me bought me a lot of comics when I was a kid when I was uh, when I was just a toddler, and I kind of just became quickly became obsessed with them. And um, then after I finished my degree, my undergraduate degree. Um, I was just, didn't want to use it. <laughs> um, so, so what I ended up doing is I ended up working at discount comic book service and I became the marketing director there and I worked there for probably seven, little over seven years. Um, and while I was there, I sort of stumbled into this world where, I mean, not only was I the marketing director there, but I uh, started running my convention and I started writing my own comics and learning how to be a small press publisher and all that kind of stuff just sort of learning the ins and outs. And then I was like, man, though, I really want to go back and teach because that's what my degree was initially in. I was like, I really want to go back and teach. So I went back to teach and I said, hey, why don't I teach comic books? Because that's the thing yeah. I love more than anything else. So that's how, that's basically how it happened. I just said, I'm going to do it. And, and no one told me no. So I decided that I could do it and it was a thing. And apparently it is. So... Um, so I've been doing that for a little while and, uh, a lot of, a lot of what I study is, uh, the work of Steve Ditko. 
and I'm sure a lot of the folks that listen, you know, who know who I am now are keenly aware of that practice, as I, I often <laughs> yes. want to tell people. Um, but uh, no, I have, I have, uh, I have academic work that's, um, being published, currently being published on Deco. And, um, eventually I plan on writing a book about it. And, uh, probably within the next few years, I guess, is when I'll have it, uh, a manuscript ready. So, so I mean, that's sort of how I got involved in it. And it's just sort of, spiraled out of control as I sort of reach my fingers into more, more, uh, pots here. But, you know, comics to me are the, I mean, to me, they're the most, to me, this is totally overly emotional and hyperbolic, but I really believe it. So fuck it. Um, <laughs> is to me, I mean, they are the most beautiful, wonderful medium that we have. They combine the best of everything. There's, I mean, there's literature, there's art, and then it brings the, it fuses the two together so just wonderfully. And it's this unique form that can do things that neither literature nor arts nor film or television can do on their own. Only comics can do what comics do. Um, you can't watch, I mean, for as much as I like comic book movies, you can't watch a movie based on the comic and ever get the experience, the feeling, a feeling similar to what you would get, you know, um, actually just reading the damn thing. Um, it's because of the sort of the visual aspect of it and the way that not just that you can't try to think of a way to articulate this. You can't be passive with comics. Even, even if you think you're being passive, you're not actually passive. You're being, you have to be an active participant with every comic you read. You have to be willing to sort of give up part of yourself to the work and be sucked in and you have to let the art and the words guide you and um, the way that the panels are shaped, the way that it's laid out, the way the characters move, all of those things manipulate you on a conscious or subconscious level into experiencing this story in a very specific way. Um, and because, and it's different from film because in film you're just sitting back and you mostly are just taking it in. But in comics, I mean, you have to, focus and concentrate and participate with it. You have to move in the way that the comic is telling you to move. And if you choose not to do that, then you mess up the reading experience. Um, you have to, you have to choose to be a part of them, um, not the other way around. So, I mean, to me, that's why I love them so much. I mean, there's just nothing like them and, um, they are worthy of our highest praise and esteem, especially when they're done very well. So there's that. Amen. I know. I've been searching for that type of explanation for a very long time. Like it's hard to, like, I mean, you summed it up perfectly, exactly what's great about comics. Nicely done. Well, thank you. I mean, I got myself in listener mode there for a minute. I was like, <laughs> oh, I want to take that class. <laughs> and you can for 59, for four UC payments of 59.95. So, Ooh. I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that little. So, I mean, you, uh, Jerry, you had contacted me and asked me about talking about this, um, knowing full well that I'm not, um, the X-Men are not my favorite comic or my favorite, uh, my, my, my favorite group of characters. There's many individual characters that I really like, but on the whole, mm -hmm. the X-Men just, I mean, we've had like, we've had like a dalliance, like, you know, like ships passing in the night, that sort of thing, but they've never really been my thing. Um, but they're a character. You are making my butt pucker so hard right now. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> but I appreciate your honesty. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna, like, oh yeah, I've always loved the X-Men. If I, if I had one group of characters, I mean, 
God, I would sound like such a douche nozzle. Um, it, just not not. You'd because, sound like us. Well, no, no, no. If, I mean, I mean, I feel like I would, I would feel like a douchebag if, if I if I were just to come on and lie and fake it that way. I mean, I'm not Stan. I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a, a Stanley. So wait, my friendship with Jerry right. comes off as disingenuous? <laughs> no, no, yes, but no, <laughs> no, it does. It does. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but let's just not worry about. Let's just move on. Um, yes. But, <laughs> but anyway, so but. Uh, but I, I do love some of the characters, and, and like everyone else, like almost everyone else who's ever read an American comic book, um, I do have a certain um, affectation for Wolverine, and um, and and really do genuinely um, love the character, or um, at least moments with the character. So I came to the Claremont Miller miniseries uh, probably. Gosh, the first time I read it was probably 15 years ago, maybe. And um, I, I hadn't, I, I was aware of it before that, but I'd never read it. I mean, and, and like most people, I mean, I knew that sort of famous cover of number one. Um, but, but I never, but I never sat down with it. And I think it had to be about 15 years ago because I read it hot off the heels of, um, or, or right around the time I was reading Origin the uh the Paul Je- the Paul Jenkins miniseries. Uh so I, I had read Origin and I was looking for other Wolverine stuff that was just Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Um besides like the Marvel Comics Presents and that sort of thing. Right. And um anyway, so like I said, I had never read this before, so I tracked down um I tracked down uh, some copies of it and um and sort of dug in with it then. Um so it's not like I have like a long complicated history with it or anything, but um but but it was but it's uh, certainly one of my favorite Wolverine stories. Um, I think there are moments in it that are not without fault, um, but 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 by and large, I think I think it's really terrific, and I think it's a nice melding of what Claremont would do with the character and with and what I think Frank Miller would have done if it was just a Frank Miller character. Um, <laughs> so. So I, I think it's sort of that nice fusion of the two, and it's like this wonderful blend of early '80s Marvel um, and, and what was important there. So it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on the book because, as I was telling Sean before we sat down to record, um, I, before we we sat down to do this, I I went and read some reviews of the the miniseries, mm-hmm. and a lot of people like read the trade, which. I'm assuming is how you probably read it. Uh, yeah. The, the trade that has the, the two X-Men issues at the end. Uh, I've actually never read the two X-Men issues that follow it. Oh, okay. Well, um, I, I've, got it, an, it's I, just... I've got an idea what happens, but I, but I've never actually read those issues. Okay. Um, it just, I think it, it probably reads very differently as, uh, you know, a, a standalone tale mm-hmm. than it would seated in the continuity of the X-Men book from month to month. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that it does because, because you, I mean, you can tell as you read it, I mean, it's, I mean, the beginning, especially the beginning and the end, they're very much dependent on what's come before and what will come after it. I mean, it's sort of to, to sort of flesh it out. I, I, I read it more as just an interlude, sort of like a day in the life of or a week or whatever in the life of Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, I think it, I think it works without, even without reading the, the issues of Uncanny that came before and after it. Sure. 
but that's but that's me. I don't. I don't what do the other reviews have to say? Uh, surprisingly, a lot of them shit on the Paul Smith issues, and it just it took me aback because, if I'm honest, uh, the two issues that follow this miniseries are probably my two favorite issues of his run, mm-hmm. and maybe two of my very favorite X Men issues of all time. So to hear people say that they fall so far short of the Wolverine miniseries just surprised me. But a lot of the complaints were that um, it follows some of the other characters. And it really, while it is a conclusion to this story, it's also just part of the regular X-Men comic. Right. So it doesn't, it doesn't fit necessarily as part of a trade. And I think that's a really unfair criticism. Yeah, that sounds unfair. Because, I mean, I mean the point of including those issues in the... And the trade is is just to give it it's just to flesh it out and give it context. So uh, right. are, are they are they shitting are they shitting on it because just because is it the art or is it be, or is it just because like oh it's not just about Wolverine anymore? Well, I, I think both, but a lot of people talked about Paul Smith's trying to nobody said ape, but you know try to mimic. Um, Frank Miller's approach mm-hmm. to storytelling and I guess it was there uh kind of on the surface but I I think he was just doing his normal thing and I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I don't so I, didn't... I mean and I I don't I guess I don't know why that would be I guess I can sort of maybe understand that but I don't understand why that's necessarily and I mean let's let's imagine for a moment that I mean that was his intent was to ape Miller's storytelling style just Hypothetically, who cares? Mm. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that, <laughs> isn't that kind of what he would want to do in order to phase it back into the regular X continuity and the regular X universe? So like, yeah. sort of link it all together and then go back to his own sense of storytelling. I mean, wouldn't that be what he would? I mean, it just it. I'm not saying he would have to do that, but it doesn't seem like an unnatural decision to to go that route. Sure. So. I, I think that's a, I mean, I guess that's a thought someone could have, but I think that's a strange criticism. I, Thank I, you. Yeah, no, you're welcome. I mean, I mean, even, ha- <laughs> even having not read those issues, I mean, just hearing that just sounds strange to me. I mean, it's, it feels like it would be more jarring if he didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think that's odd. Well, I guess the smart thing to do uh, would have been, to send you the critiques and let you read them for yourselves so that we could have an actual conversation about what they actually said instead of me giving you my biased opinion. But you're a busy man. You've got other shit to do. So we won't worry about that. That's a-okay. I, I, I'll take whatever you say as gospel. I'm sure it's fine. Aw. Yeah, I know, right? You're the best. That's what I keep telling people. Finally, someone you better listens. start listening, or I'm going to start slitting some throats. Oh, good, that's good. Kill people in my name. Yes, <laughs> I will do it in Crom's name for you. Oh, uh, that's also acceptable. Okay, sweet. Uh, but speaking of the art, I mean, I guess I do. Before we get too heavy into the story and stuff, I guess I do have kind of a criticism of some of the art in here, though. Um, mm-hmm. I like Joe Rubenstein as a as a finisher or as an inker. I, I really do. Uh-huh. I think he's he's very accomplished. I mean, he's inked everybody at some point. Um, right. But I just don't think he's a great match for Frank Miller. Um, there are time there are flashes of it where I think like, yes, this looks like eighties 
Frank Miller. And then there's other, uh-huh. there's other moments where I'm like, why this doesn't feel Frank Miller enough, at least from my <laughs> perspective or taste. Um, not to say that he should or had to do everything that, um, Miller penciled at the time, but I mean, I would have really liked to have seen like Klaus Jansen or somebody who really worked with and Miller a lot and really seemed to understand right. Miller's, uh, sort of sense of space and that sort of thing. Um, it's not that, I, again, it's not that I think that Rubenstein doesn't get it, but like he's just, it's not, I don't know. There, like I said, there's just moments in here where I just feel uncomfortable with it. It just doesn't seem Miller-y enough for me. Yeah. It feels too controlled. I, I've never really been much of a Rubenstein fan. Oh, uh, really? Um, on, on his X-Men work, anyway. Mm-hmm. Like the, the stuff that he did. What Sean, do you remember what issues he did that we covered? I, I remember being critical of them, but I, I can't remember. Was it early Cockrum? <laughs> Or was it the Brent Anderson? I, I don't know. I honestly don't remember. But, um, I, I mean, he really has done so much. But yeah, I mean, I, there's just, I've never really had that feeling of, wow, he is just the best at his craft. He's good. But yeah, I, I'd agree that it's not necessarily the best fit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't think it's, I mean, it's not bad. Or, you know, I wouldn't, it's not anything like, oh God, I'm not reading this now. Jesus Christ. Sure. Rubenstein. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I, I think a good example of sort of perhaps like the, some of the inconsistency I'm talking about. And, and maybe it's on Miller's part too. I mean, I, I mean, who's to say, I guess I haven't seen the pencils, but, um, like that very first page of, uh, uh there's that splash page on the first issue. Um, it's not tremendously Miller-like, and then you turn the you turn the page, and then you see a Wolverine that does look very Miller-like. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just based on like the shape of the eyes and like the way like the the facial structure is and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just there's those little inconsistent moments where it almost feels like Rubenstein's trying to sort of feel out what he should be doing and where he should rein Frank in and where he should let him go. Um, sure. I mean, that's just my guess. Uh, but it's just, that's how it reads to me. So, but I mean, really that's my, artistically, that's my only, that's my only gripe with this. And it's really pretty minor. But, um, once, once you get past that or once I got, or once I got past that, it seemed, it seemed pretty great to me. And I do love, I do love how, how goofy the bear looks too. It does look terrible. Uh, (laughs) um, Uh, Yeah. And the dog, he, Wolverine runs into some guard dogs later that aren't, really the best either yeah. but you understand that it's a bear and you understand that they're guard dogs so he gets the job done yeah that's kind of what i thought i mean <laughs> as soon as i looked at the bears like man that looks screwy but then i thought wait a minute you're reading a book about a man with metal bones <laughs> and metal claws fighting a cartoon bear and you're worried that the cartoon bear looks too much like a cartoon bear maybe i should right. just let it go <laughs> maybe i should just remember that and then appreciate what i'm reading so you probably made the right call that, there. That's a good angle to go from. Yeah. <laughs> far far more people need to view these things with that viewpoint. Yeah, I, a lot of people get really hung up on that. Like, it doesn't look real enough. Well, I mean, how real do you want it to be? I mean. So, um, I think that a lot of younger readers probably get hung up on the art on a series like this because it's so different from what you'd see on the shelf today. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I just don't, I like, I don't know how to verbalize, um, why the difference is good and why you should embrace it and, and how to instruct a younger viewer on, on how to view this as something enjoyable uh, when the style is so different. You know, well, I think something that a lot of people forget though, and not everyone, but a lot of people, they, they, and I guess maybe it's because they're younger, but I don't think it's always younger. I think it's just people who are new to comics. Sometimes, okay, sometimes sure. that means younger. Fair sometimes enough. that means just somebody who just doesn't, isn't well versed in it. But mm-hmm. I mean, you got to think like how different Miller's style was, like how radically different it was from, you know, things that had preceded it from both Marvel and DC. I mean, Miller and really most of the people of sort of that, uh, late seventies, early eighties generation, that, that group of artists really challenged and pushed boundaries and were doing things very differently from the, the gang of guys who filled in the space. I don't, I don't mean to demean what they did, but the, <laughs> but the, but the guys, the, the artists who filled in the space between the, between the silver age and, you know, early modern. Uh, um, and, and Bronze Age. I mean, a lot, you go back and you read a lot of those Spider-Man issues. Um, for as much as I like guys like Ross Andrew, I mm-hmm. mean, there's, there's, there's not, there's not always that sort of dynamism. There's not always that sort of weirdness. There's not always that sort of like artistic, um, voice that comes through. I mean, a lot of, Andrew's probably not a great example here, but, but there's a lot of voice, there's a lot of artistic voices in the, in the late seventies and into the early eighties, especially at Marvel and DC where they're just not, they're flat, you know, they're interchangeable Uh and and it's a, and it's the house style and, and it works and the books came out, but they, but those are also books that don't really, they didn't really have a lot of weight to them. You know, I mean, we don't really talk, right. we don't really talk about those, but we, but we sure as hell talk about Miller's work and Mazzucchelli's work and, um, and Sienkiewicz's work. Not, not that every story was fabulous because they, not all of them were, but because there was something wild and different and free and excited about them. I mean, they really push yeah. boundaries. Um, and, and, um, and a lot of, a lot of mainstream titles, I mean, just, just didn't do that. Um, I mean, I mean, to me, to me, a not unreasonable comparison is to compare Silver Age DC to Silver Age Marvel. I mean, Kirby and Ditko versus, uh, Kurt Swan. I mean, Kurt, I, uh, Swan is fantastic. He's a wonderful artist. But I mean, you, mm-hmm. you look, you can't look at Kurt Swan and then look at Kirby and Ditko and say, oh yeah, they're cut same cloth. That's the same. I mean, you just can't. I mean, there's something very different about what was happening uh, with those creators, and, and they created the and they did the work that really struck a chord and became culturally relevant um, and really survived. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, I, I I think that's what it, I mean. To me, it, a lot of it boils down to that. It's you have to have sort of some sort of context to understand why this matters, and um, if it's the only thing you've ever seen as compared to modern art, which I think suffers from a lot of the same things. There's a lot of guys who look very much alike. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, unless you sort of have that context, I mean, how could you know, you know, how could you know that what Miller did was different or better or exciting or, or, or whatever? Um, 
if you weren't, if you haven't seen how bad a lot and how stiff and <laughs> uninspired a lot of the other stuff was, because it was. Right. So, Sean, did you have? Something? Oh no, I, it was. Um, it's okay. You can go back if you want. Take us back. No, 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 no. I was just gonna, because um, you guys mentioned the younger readers not quite being down with it, as the kids would say. Well, I hope you're not worried because I, I'm calling you a kid at, at 32. No, 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 no. I'm no, talking no. about like but, an 18 But I know who... that back when I would have first read this, like Miller's artwork was, like I'm not the biggest Miller fan because it did put me off mm-hmm. when I was younger. Oh, yeah, me too. But... I mean, this Sienkiewicz, like you said, totally scary as a kid. I didn't – Kurt Swan and, and Ross Andrew were right up my alley. But the thing that I think I got with age and one of the things that I realized when I went back to reread this for this is how nice it was to have kind of the the gritty feel of the Miller artwork because it's like you go from Wolverine probably looking his best with Paul Smith, right? Uh-huh. Okay. You and I, I agree on that. Yes. And then we kind of get like a little bit – I just think that Miller's artwork like serves this story mm-hmm. better. And I think this isn't a story that you could hand to someone fresh into comics at a younger age and get them to, like, there's a whole, when I was a kid and I first read this, it was like, well, I wish you stabbed more ninjas. And when I read it as an adult, I'm like, I find the whole honor thing that Wolverine's going for and impressing her father to be, like, relatable. Yeah. And, you know, and and much more of an important part of the story for me this second time around. I think that's why this miniseries is so exceptional is because it's accessible to young readers, but enjoyable for older readers. And you get something diff- completely different out of it. As a kid, you know, it's, it's all Wolverine on his own fighting ninjas. He gets the girl. And as an adult, like you said, a completely different read. Yeah, like as a kid, I didn't understand why he didn't just fucking pop his claws and stab Shingen in the face. <laughs> like, <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> he did everybody that's what he did not right away <laughs> no you gotta tell the story first you gotta you gotta give him the whole song and dance but yes I agree with everything you both said about everything you're my two favorite people <laughs> I, I appreciated Miller much more oh, when good. I read the Daredevil stuff uh, oh yeah I came around I'm back. I'm 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 on board now. But as yeah. as a, as a youngster, when someone was like, "This is the greatest thing ever," I'm like, "Why do I want to read about a Japanese love triangle?" Well, this was hot stuff when I was a kid. Like this was, if somebody showed up on the playground with this book, everybody was like stopping, jumping off the monkey bars to check it out. Like it was the shit back in the day. This was. I mean, this was before Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtles, but it was like that level of, oh my god, have you seen this? I, just, I wish that we could get back to this Wolverine, because I like the fact that he's not able to fend off a nuclear blast and still <laughs> hook up with Mariko in the end. Like, I like the fact that he's a guy struggling, that there's the whole... He's trying so desperately to not be the animal side that he's convinced he is because of the way that everyone else treats him that he's trying to do everything in his power to go the honorable route 
Right. And then he goes and gets himself wasted and calls Yukio Mariko and everything's <laughs> fucked. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing about this, too, is, I mean, he's not a cliche yet. I mean, when you read that, that phrase at the beginning, you know, like, I'm the best there is to, at what I do and what I do. I mean, at that point, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like, yeah, 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 got it. Uh-huh. I mean, not everyone had, had taken that and just appropriated it in just some of the most right, awful right. ways yet. You know, there's worth pointing out for those that don't know. This is the first time he says that. Yeah. Age one of the Wolverine miniseries. Yeah. And then everyone after that's like, oh, yeah, he should say that all the time. Like, OK, God. all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> I never get tired of it. I don't care. <laughs> Say it every page. I mean, I grew up on Claremont X-Men. You can restate everything, every issue. I'm good with it, man. Yeah. Which he, and he is very good at that, too, and probably very and very good with it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he's comfortable with it. Yes, I'm quite confident about that. But, no, you know, I, I really like, I mean, Sean, that's something I really like about it, too, uh, and really appreciate it, is that it's not, you know, this Wolverine who, like you said, can, can, can survive a nuclear blast or, you know, as Morrison, Grant Morrison would do later, you know, could send him into the sun and he could fly into the sun and be like, oh, got it. It's cool. Yeah. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> I mean, I, I like that. I mean, I like that there's some sort of vulnerability in there. Like, I mean, the fact, I mean, even though there's points where it seems contradictory, he's like, yeah, my bones are adamantium and they can't be broken. But I was really worried about that guy breaking my back. I mean, what if he broke my back? Um, I, I, I kind of like those moment those doubtful moments even though i think they're patently ridiculous i mean when you think about like who he is and what he's just said about himself (laughs) Um, but i mean just like that there's this again there's like this uh, jerry used this word earlier but that sort of conceit um that you know he's not this all-powerful superman-like figure who can basically do anything and walk away and it's going to be all right um i mean it feels like there's actually a threat at points with him sure the his ability to walk away is 100% based on his skill as a fighter, yeah. not his mutant healing ability. Yeah, Wolverine backed into a corner is the best Wolverine. Yeah. Not the Wolverine that can be like, I can get through this no matter what, but like the one who's like, on it, like, was it Uncanny X-Men 205? It's that Barry Windsor Smith issue. Yeah. It's probably my favorite Wolverine story of all time because he's on the ropes and it's the power pack girl who's <laughs> yeah. keeping Katie him Power. alive, you yeah. know? Yeah. Zach, that was cool. You should read it. <laughs> Perhaps one day I will. Uh, well, let's read it together. Okay. Okay, whatever you say. I'll do anything you say at this point, Jerry. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Do, do we want to give like a nutshell summary of what actually happens in this issue? Because there are people that probably have not read this. Idiots. And they're probably not going to admit it because... I would be embarrassed to admit I'd never read this if I called myself an X-Men fan. But you know that guy is out there. Oh, yeah. Or that girl. Yeah, they're no, they're all out there. People are always lying there's, about what they've read. There's probably tons of them out there. This yeah. is an old book. It's not necessarily easy to 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 get. You know, it's. I mean, you could probably go to the store and find it. But yeah. Um, well, I my, it doesn't mean you did. Yeah. It, it, there's no shame in that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- there are people with libraries full of books they haven't read, and they have them like, oh, yeah, I know that book. I've read that a million times. He haven't read it. That's, but, yeah. It's, it, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I've never done that. Um, I mean, hell, I, mean, I, I picked it up on Comixology for like five bucks, the whole the trade, the, all four issues. Uh-huh. So um, just just to reread it for, for, our, for our conversation. Um, yeah, do you want to summarize the do you want to summarize the first issue or you want to summarize the whole mini series? 
Well, let's. Sh- I mean, sort of break it down from there. We usually break it down in some pretty good detail, but I don't want to do that this time. I want yeah. people to read this. So let's kind of. How do you want to try to keep it spoiler free? Can we? Uh, I don't know. That's a little tough, but yeah. Previously on X Men. So basically, the idea is in the previous Uncanny X Men pages, uh, Wolverine has left to go find himself and get some personal time in the Canadian Rockies, which he does. The first page shows him. Climb a super close up of him climbing a cliff. He's looking for this rogue bear, which he finds and dispatches. It's eaten like 50 people. And, uh, he finds out that it's been poisoned and he deals with the dude that poisoned it. Which was, was awesome. By far the worse offender in his eyes than, than the bear that was actually killing people. So, uh, from there he discovers that, uh, Mariko is in trouble. He calls. Nobody will talk to him. They're refusing his calls. He can't get in touch with her. So he flies against his uh, buddy in the Japanese Secret Service or whatever, against his wishes, flies to Japan to find out what's going on. And he's basically um, shown up by Mariko's dad, who's (laughs) thought dead, is now very much alive and has taken control of Mariko's family. And forced her to marry. And uh, more Someone importantly, else who's extremely abusive, and Mariko, you can see it on her face. She's been a uh, Hank Pimmed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's a Hank Pym? Mm-hmm. We don't know. We only read X Men comics. Uh, so this, I mean, this is like the worst thing that could happen to Wolverine is to could see the woman imagine, he loves. Could you imagine being the dude though that like punches Wolverine's woman? Uh, he, when you realize the mistake you've made, I, I mean, I'm not condoning hitting women. I'm just saying, if I were, Wolverine's girlfriend would be the last one I would hit. I'm surprised at how secure he I seems. <laughs> Stop it! I'm surprised how secure this dude seems. Yeah. Um, I'm not even gonna bother to remember his name. Um, but it, like he he seems not worried at all about what Wolverine's gonna do, and I think that's because. Maybe he has an understanding. Wolverine has an understanding of Japanese culture. I don't know, but um, yeah, he's like, yeah, I slapped the shit out of her. She had it coming, and Wolverine loses his mind and is ultimately humiliated by Mariko's dad. And um, they fight with wooden swords. Uh, Shingen, Lord Shingen, her father, is showing him up completely. Much better swordsman than Wolverine. Wolverine pops his claws. Well, Shingen is basically, like, Wolverine starts to realize through the fight, oh, yeah, we're doing the brief explanation, not the real one. Basically, Shingen's killing him. But he's doing it in such a way that Mariko can't tell. Yeah. And so it's basically drawing... Wolverine has no other choice but to dishonor himself, pop his claws, and now he looks like an animal in front of the woman that he loves. And still gets his ass kicked. Yep. So he's... Uh, dishonored and he lost and he wakes up in the gutter with Yukio who we haven't mentioned yet but it turns out she's a secret double agent pretending to be friends with Wolverine who she does actually end up falling for but she's secretly working for Shingen all along and uh, so the two of them become bosom fuck buddies and uh, kill a bunch of ninjas 
And eventually Wolverine works his way back to Mariko and um, redeems himself by killing Lord Shingen. And spoiler. <laughs> and um, he thinks that he's um, completely losing her by doing that. But in the end, he wins back her love. She reveals that that she, if he had failed, she would have tried to kill Shingen herself and then committed suicide, ritual suicide. And everybody would have been dead, a la Romeo and Juliet. But instead, we end up with a happy ending, and they're going to get married. And that leads into the Uncanny X-Men issues that we'll discuss later. So there's your nutshell. That's a good Discuss. Uh, you know, um, one of the things, um, and it wouldn't be in a nutshell because it's one of the more finer details, but one of the things I really liked about this um, is I really kind of... I really like the. I can't believe I'm saying this about a Chris Claremont comic, but um, <laughs> I, I, I really like the. It's it's not it's not just all mellow. I mean, there is melodrama, but and maybe it's Claremont, maybe it's Miller, maybe it's just the two together. I I, I don't know because I don't know the story about how this came to be. But there's a lot of layers. Like, I mean, I think in the in the very beginning, when Wolverine is out looking for that rogue bear, and he kills the bear. At, um, you know, I, 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 there's, it's a really wonderful scene. Not just that he goes and finds the guy, the, the hunter that, the poacher that shot the bear with the poison, you know, across a bolt or arrow or whatever. But I mean, that's, that's Wolverine, right? I mean, he's, he's a Ronin, he's, he's, he's rogue, he's out on his own, he's a killer, he's killed pretty much every kind of, a, every kind of person imaginable, except for, um, maybe he hasn't killed kids. I mean, I don't know that we could say that for any, with any certainty, but, um, but he's killed not at this point. Yeah. Not at this point. And, I mean, he, I mean, he is, he is the wild animal. He is the bear. Right. But it's not really his fault either. Just like it's not really the bear's fault. And, um, but the bear has to be put down. And, um, so I, th- I think that's a really sort of neat, like layering of the narrative. I mean, cause Wol- I mean, Wolverine and the bear are basically the same thing. Um, or the same being, Holy shit, Zach! Yeah, Wolfer. Okay, the, an important part that I left out is that before his first battle with Shingen, mm-hmm. Wolverine was poisoned by Yuki. Yeah, he gets poisoned by Yuki, so he goes and, and he goes crazy, and I mean, looks like an animal, right? <laughs> Sean, honestly, did you pick up on that? That was um a little. Tell bit. me you didn't pick yeah, a little bit. Everyone is smarter than me, but. <laughs> But I mean, I mean, within the story, there's that element. But I mean, even out, what I'm saying is that that's in the story itself. Within these four issues, it's it's in there. But I mean, it's also Wolverine's character too, right? Sure. I mean, that's just that's just who he is in general. I mean, but just but more directly to the story, yes, exactly. I mean, just just like that. I mean, Wolverine has been poisoned or, or has been you know pushed into this animalistic state. Right. So I think that's really awesome. I think that's a really clever sort of narrative trick that he does. Mm-hmm. And then there's then there's other ones, too. Um, the uh, another one that um, I really liked was uh, when they're at the play and they're watching the, they're watching the 47 Ronin. Right. Yes. I mean, and that's very obviously just, again, a mirror sort of a play on Wolverine's journey here, um, you know, doing mm-hmm. the honorable thing no matter what the cost. And, and even in the dream sequence, I mean, you see it in the dream sequence too. Um, 
So I, so I really like the way that that all sort of comes together and, and completes not just the story, but completes Wolverine's character. And Mm -hmm. I mean, so even if, even if, you know, folks don't really get Wolverine at this point, I mean, if they're paying attention, I mean, you should be able to figure out who Wolverine is because of, you know, what's been set up here by, by Claremont and Miller. I mean, all these different parallel narratives that are happening. Um, I mean, really wonderful, really powerful, well-written, well-conceived stuff, I think. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, Sorry, I had to finish the thought about the bear. The bear has to be put down. Like, Wolverine has a death wish. And uh, Yuriko talks about the death wish that she has, and Wolverine has that same death wish. Uh, Anyway, sorry. Um, I mean, Wolverine, I mean, that's his deal. He wants to die, right? Um, At least that's, that's what Yuriko identifies it. And him, and then you know, again, like the bear, the bear had to be put down in order to stop him from killing again. Just like Wolverine's going to kill again, we know he's going to kill again unless somebody puts him down. So, anyway, sorry, go ahead. One of the things too that I really liked was that I feel like this was the first time that Wolverine was kind of pulled out of the element and and dropped into like he he doesn't fit in the X Men. Obviously, he's he's started to now at this point, um, but when he was first, he didn't. But this feels to me like he's completely a fish out of water in this culture. But it's interesting to see like the level of respect he has for it. And it's not just because like, Oh, I'm into Mariko. Like there's a part of him that craves like the, um, honor and structure Mm -hmm. of that particular culture. And I always like as a, as a kid and especially now more as an adult, like I always like that. And it's one thing that I miss from like current stories of Wolverine is it's always, it bums me out when people take, I'm the best that there is what I do and what I do isn't very nice from this story and not, I only did those things because I had to, Mm -hmm. not because I'm great at it, but because like he was forced into a situation. I don't know. And there are points where he has an opportunity to be the Wolverine you'd expect and just waste the guy that he doesn't need to, but right. he he passes up that opportunity and points that out to Yukio, like, I don't have to kill this dude, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let him go. And plus, we get to see Wolverine with a crossbow. Yes. <laughs> yes. What's wrong with that? Hey, Walking Dead fans, here's a guy with a crossbow. Come read this book. <laughs> Am I right? This is Daryl, only shorter and Canadian. Yes. Harrier, too. You're right. So, oh, what I was going to say earlier was that um, you get hints at this Wolverine much earlier in, in Uncanny X-Men uh, from Claremont, but there are such small hints, and, you know, just little tastes that there's something more complicated about this guy than what you're led to believe is his normal personality. And, and those moments are so wonderful because they're so fleeting. But here you're finally confronted with what that, looks like in the environment that it belongs in he i mean you learn pretty early in the story that he has experience here in japan he has friendships in japan he's spent time in japan he's done jobs in japan and he understands the culture um but he's got so much to overcome with his own personal baggage that he has a hard time fitting in sometimes and um and so the other part of this was I was driving home from work and I, I realized that what 
I think is really special about this story in particular and the Claremont's run in the X-Men in general is that you see these characters in their best moments with their guard completely down, you know, in their private moments with people they completely trust talking the way you wouldn't talk if you knew that like the microphone is on in front of you and I, uh, there, somebody's reading this page as I'm speaking these words, you know, you'd be embarrassed to say things and Claremont writes the things that people would be embarrassed to say in front of other people. And I think Wolverine's narrative his his um voiceover or whatever in the story kind of gives you some of that in the way that he talks with Yukio gives you some of that it's it's uncomfortable and it's weird but it's weird because it's private mm-hmm. and i that it's something that i really love about claremont and i guess until today i'd never really resolved that in my mind that that's what appeals to me well and that's it. the complexity that you're kind of looking for with wolverine right i mean is he just the berserker guy with knife with you know with knives that come out of his fists or is there something more to him right i mean these are the moments that give you that depth that personality the the inner turmoil and anguish the death wish you know all all of those things yeah that from and this is your chance to have that from an art perspective too where you guys were talking about like the choices that muller makes and like why he was revolutionary um one of the things that i found really interesting in the last fight with Shingen, right when uh, Wolverine finally does pop the claw, his eyes are completely red. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I like the fact that you never actually, like, it's a lot of shadows and, like, the panels cut off so you don't ever see Shingen's face. Like, I think nowadays people. You don't would, see the dismembering and the yeah. splashes. Like, of I think we'd have like a that. double page spread nowadays of the claws actually going through his head and brain matter everywhere. Sure. You know, and there's something a little bit creepier about that. Like, knowing. Yeah, we talked about that with the Hellfire Club issue where he carves up all those Hellfire Club guards. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they imply the blood by coloring the panels red. And this is a much subtler but more powerful uh, example of that same technique. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, you know, with the red eyes, I wonder how much of that's Miller and how much of that's Lynn Varley. It's 100% Lynn Varley. I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, I mean, they were, uh, they were certainly close <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, sure. But, but that seems like that, that's probably Lynn Varley's choice more than Frank Miller's. Uh. It's interesting to me that the the miniseries started with Glynis Ween as the colorist, which you know made sense to me because she was the X Men colorist. But by the end, you do end up with Lynn Varley, and a, a much more familiar looking colorist for Frank Miller fans because she did so much of his work after this. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, she, I mean, really, really in in. in- I mean, I, I think she's the dominant artistic voice in there, not not Miller's. I mean, Miller's got his sort of unfettered line in that, but it's really Lynn Varley that brings that whole thing together and makes it work. So, and, and, and like you said, I mean, it's it's much more familiar, and and frankly, I mean, I, better. Um, yeah, there's a lot more depth, and or as much depth as one could achieve, you know, given the practices and printing uh, printing process of the time. Um, that, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I uh, texted Sean a picture I found of um, 
one of her, um, uh, what do you call the, the page that they actually color to give to the printer as the color reference? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it just a, uh, and, oh, it was wonderful and it looked nothing like the printed page, but it was exquisite. Yeah. And Sean and I have had a go around before about, you know, uh, modern coloring versus, uh, the, the old 80s and 70s style for color process and, and, um, and how he likes that nostalgia factor, but, what I, I was pointing out to him, like, this is what you sacrifice when you go with that process. And uh, from a nostalgia perspective, it, it's totally great that, that you get that that um, archaic coloring. But, uh, man, you don't ever really get to see what Lynn Varley's capable of. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, if I'm reading this on paper, if I went and I, and I pulled the issues out and I was reading the back issues... Um, then, you know, whatever. But, you know, as I was rereading this today, I'm reading it on my iPad. And I mean, because I feel like I know enough about it, then it, that mitigates, you know, what's, what's clearly lost. But I mean, it really, it's the kind of coloring to me that really only works on, you know, that gritty, not quite newsprint type paper, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and digitally, it's just not there. I mean, and for modern comics that are printed digitally and, Got a much higher, uh, you know, much higher quality for color and that sort of thing. I mean, they really, not all of them, but many of them, particularly superhero comics, I think sort of need that kind of depth that you can get with just, you know, better, better print quality, really. So, um, <laughs> these scans just don't do it, don't do her justice, I don't think. Anyway. Well, for, for Miller's sake, I, I think he, uh, he and, uh, Rubenstein make, great use of spot blacks and there's tons of cross hatching and Mm -hmm. and so that you know it's heavily featured and and it i think it helps the color the limited color palette of the book but um i don't know i feel like having you here i want to hear you talk about putting this mini series in a like a historical context for for miller's career and kind of uh what separates him artistically from his his peers at the time and you know kind of uh his his artistic trajectory where this falls in so i mean i'll leave it to you to decide sure how you want to uh, tackle yeah that. well this is um oh boy what year did this come out 80 this was 82 80, 83. Yeah, 83 83 so he's um He's, this is in the heat of, or he's probably just fresh off of, um, Daredevil. Um, it's, I think it's right before, right after Daredevil and right before. Yeah, Rome. yeah, yeah. It's, it's right, it's right before he comes back to Daredevil with Massa Kelly. Um, uh huh. So, so yeah. Um, you know, up into this point, you know, Miller's artwork is, it, stylistically, it's, it's different from what a lot of folks are doing. Um, but really what is setting him apart is, is not just it, the vision, the, the look, like the specific look of characters. Um, but, but his sort of sense of storytelling and how he, how he paces, uh, stories out. And also, and also sort of the genre that he, he is really developing. I mean, for as much as this is a Claremont X-Men book, it's also very much from, you know, narratively a, a Frank Miller book. I mean, it's not as heavy handed as what Miller gets into, um, with the crime aspects, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a big part of this is, is a crime thriller. You know, it's, it's, it's disrupting the Japanese underground. Um, 
I mean, that's, that's what Wolverine's there to do. He's there, I mean, he's the, he's not quite a detective figure, but I mean, he's there in that sort of noirish type set, or, uh, sense where he's, he's there to, you know, get back with the woman that he loves, but it's in Japan, so the only way, and the only way he can do it is to disrupt, you know, the sort of crime machine that's happening there, and he deals with all sorts of people with death wishes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's very, it's a very Miller-esque type story, um, and it's certainly, um, reflective of the sort of thing that he had been doing in Daredevil just before this, um, because when he got Daredevil, mm-hmm. I mean, he just basically saw that this can and should be a crime book, and that's what he made it into, um, just with superheroes, um, and that's very similar to what he's done here. So artistically, uh, at this point, Miller had been working a lot with Klaus Danson, and really, when you read the the Miller um, penciled. And really, penciled's probably, probably too strong a word. I mean, they call him penciler here, and if, if my memory serves me, they call him penciler in the Daredevil stuff, but I mean, really he's just doing, lay- he's just mostly just doing layouts, and they got progressively looser. Um, and so while Miller was working with Klaus Jansen, a lot of what you see on those Daredevil pages is really Klaus Jansen. Uh, there's hints of Miller in there, there's sort of that, you know, this very expressive, very gesticulatory, and, you know, wild, and, uh, heavily blacked um, sort of scenes, but it's Jansen that reigns him in and still gives it enough of a superhero feel. Uh, it, it really is sort of the hallmark of the book. And then when Miller later on, after this, comes back to Daredevil and is working with Massa Kelly on, um, on Daredevil again for Born Again, and then later uh, on Year One, I mean, that's also a very... I mean, those are crime books. Both of those are crime books. Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, there's a that's I, noir is not the right word because noir specifically means films, but you know, it, there's that noirish feel to them. Um, here with Rubenstein, uh, it's like, it's like I said, I mean, that's part of my crit, that's part of my sort of artistic criticism. Um, I'm not sure why Rubenstein makes some of the choices he makes with the finishes because I think that he's just sort of plugged into the role that, um, that Klaus Jansen was in. Um, and I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I'm not enthusiastic about all of what I take to be Rubenstein's choices with how he finishes out faces and, uh, you know, facial structure and, and that sort of thing. Um, a, mm-hmm. again, you know, there's, there's spots where you can tell like, Oh, that looks like a Frank Miller panel. That does not. Um, I mean, do you think it's as simple as these panels? Maybe Frank Miller spent more time fleshing out, and the others were looser, so Rubenstein was left to his own. I mean, I I, I don't think that's I, I I don't think that's an unreasonable assumption. I mean, I don't know that, uh, and I think there, you know, there's a really there's a really old comic geek speak interview with Joe Rubenstein where he talks where I think he talks about working with Miller. That would, that would be interesting. I mean, in light of our discussion, that would be interesting to go try to find and listen to him talk because, I mean, he just spilled on everybody and everything in that interview. So there, I think that you're probably right. I think that they're probably looser panels or something where Miller just said, gave a very vague description and just sort of, you know, threw something on there to give an idea and then Rubenstein filled it in the way that he would naturally do it instead of following uh, sort of a Miller-esque or, or really Miller and Jansen-esque style. Um, at all times, but, there, but again, but there's a lot of panels that look I'm like, Oh shit, that looks just like Frank Miller. That's definitely Frank Miller setting this up. Editor's note. 
In the interest of trying to settle this discussion, I went and looked for the Comic Geek Speak episode Zach was talking about. Didn't find it, but I did find CBR's Comic Book Legends Revealed number 261, where they spoke with Joe Rubenstein about a rumor that Rubenstein actually ghost-penciled issue number three. And he said that that was not true, but what the way the the work went was that Frank Miller laid out all four issues in a month's time. So these obviously would have been very loose panel layouts. And then Rubenstein came along later and completed the layouts for the books and inked them. And he spent two months on issue one, a month on each of the second and third issues, and then the final issue he was forced to complete in less than a month. So that's why, as you get further into the issues, you start to see a, a bigger departure, maybe, from that Miller-esque look to the book. He also mentions in the interview that the reason the Klaus Janssen Daredevil stuff looks more like Frank Miller, at least initially, is because Janssen was working from type Miller pencils at the beginning of their run together, and it was only later that Miller transitioned to looser breakdowns for for Jansen to ink from. So, I mean, so that's sort of where he's at artistically. And then, then you know, later with Dark, with uh, 47 Ronin, or 47 Ronin, <laughs> with, with Ronin. And, um, I mean, that's where you get a lot, you know, the much looser uh, Frank Miller, which is, I mean, honestly, I mean, I know a lot of people don't like it, but that's the Miller that I really <laughs> like. I, I, I like Ronin Frank Miller and Frank Miller. I mean, th- those are my favorite ones. Um, but you get sort of hints of the Miller, of, of what he, of what his real, what I think is his real artistic sort of vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, this is just sort of, we're ebbing towards that point here, um, before he just sort of artistically lets go. So, uh, so anyway, so that's where he's at. Uh, and then far, as far as, I hope I'm not rambling, but as far as sort of the, not just context for Miller, but artistic context, I mean, again, I mean, there, Miller certainly, he's not without peer. I mean, he, he certainly has nope. peers that, are do, that are also doing really, really challenging, exciting work in the early 80s, uh, in, in late 70s. Um, but, you know, like I was saying before, I mean, we have sort of this, um, uh, how do I want to say this? We have this sort of confirmation bias where we assume, where because Miller was a giant of the era, we sort of assume that well, that's what comics looked like. And the reality is, is no, they did not. Um, not at all. And even the ones that were very good, it did not look like this at all. I mean, and, and I hesitate to, <laughs> right. to crap on somebody else's work, but I mean, my goodness, I mean, look at, look at the books that were coming out at the time. Look at, look at popular books that were coming out at the time. Like take Amazing Spider-Man. Really great stories are being, not all of them, but there, are, but there are some very good stories being published in Amazing Spider-Man. And sort of the, the, uh, the titles that would, the ancillary titles that would pop up too. I mean, not, not, you know, the most intellectually challenging things, but still good, fun stories. And you look at the art and you're like, oh my God, it's just so, it's so stiff. It's so flat and lifeless. I mean, it's just, it's workmanlike, um, which is okay for getting books out, but not really great for exciting readers and, and making stories last. Um, and, and, and Miller and his ilk challenged that. It really challenges the status quo, and because it's not, you know, it's 
the the image artists that that come after him or the image era artists guys at Marvel that come after them, I don't think that they're necessarily dependent or relying on Miller, but it's just sort of the dominoes. I mean, at Marvel, I mean, Ditko and Kirby kick over to to Miller and Sienkiewicz and Miller and Sienkiewicz kick over to you know, to to Lee and McFarlane and, and those guys. I mean, and regardless of what one thinks or one's individual taste, I mean, there are definite shifts in you know in, in what's happening there. And those are the books that we remember and that and that get collected in these huge omnibuses. At least the ones that at least the ones that get collected first, not the stuff where they're like, oh man, if we publish this, we can make money here too because. They haven't read it, and they just—they mm-hmm. saw the movie, but they don't know anything about what's in the goddamn books. Um, not like that. I mean, these are these are the genuine, like diamonds in, in the proverbial rough. Um, so, so I mean, so that's 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 where he is. I mean, that's his contribution. I mean, in the last thing, and then I'll, I'll shut up about this. But the other thing you really can't discount too is is sort of that that genre element that that Miller brings to this. I mean, it's not that there weren't crime comics before this; there were, but nobody was really doing them, uh, you know, the way that Frank Miller was doing them, and nobody was really presenting these ideas in the way that Frank Miller was. Just the same as, and he's Miller is not as good a writer as Alan Moore, but just the same as Alan Moore. I mean, no one was really doing with horror comics what Alan Moore did with Swamp Thing, mm-hmm. right? That's a I mean, swamp like. Thing. Right. I mean, there, there were horror comics. I mean, and, and, you know, the rights and stuff that comes before it, it's very good. Uh-huh. It's beautiful to look at. Sure. But like, but more comes along and it's just, there's this huge paradigm shift, right? In, in the way that, that horror and, you know, and that sort of thing is approached in these superhero universes. Same thing with Miller in crime, right? I mean, when you think about gritty and, 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 and dirty sort of, uh, you know, rough around the edges characters. I mean, there, of course, obviously there's, there's more in his work on Watchmen and stuff, but I mean, those sort of rough around the edges characters really begin with Miller, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and, and both Miller and Moore are really just working off of the model that Steve Ditko laid out for them in the late sixties and early seventies. But, uh, but I mean, that's, that's sort of the genesis point for like, you know, a lot of these comics now and people bitch about that, but they, they bitch because they don't really understand how important it was at the time. Right. Sure. Uh, um, it's, I mean, you know, it's just one of those things where you just have to have the context to realize like what a big deal this is. Right. So anyway, sorry. I know I kind of rambled there for a while, but I got, no, I mean, I that's it. I got, I got excited. So <laughs> that's exactly what we try to accomplish with the show is to bring Absolutely. the context of the, the reader at the time. So for people that couldn't have been there to experience it for themselves, to try to get a sense of, of what was going on at the time and why this was exciting. And you have accomplished right. that. Good. I hope so. Um, because it really is an exciting work. Um, and, and really remarkably different from, you know, other, other books that were on the shelves at the time. It really is. I mean, that's why, that's why people are into it. I mean, I think, I can't remember if I said this before, but I mean, I'm not wild about that cover to number one i don't think it's that great no i think there's uh I, I in fact i don't like it at all if i'm just being honest um but but i mean who who gives any who gives a shit you know if that cover is not the most amazing thing you ever saw like the content is what really drove that book i mean if the content if what miller and claremont did in there sucked if there wasn't something powerful about it nobody would give any kind of a crap they're like oh yeah yeah i read that wolverine miniseries but did that become did that come up before the kitty pride miniseries or after because i really like the kitty pride one ah i mean man 
I wanted to love that so much, but Al Milgram is no Frank Miller. <laughs> well, but I mean, again, Al Milgram, really talented, terrific artist. I, I, I genuinely, I, I have a certain amount of appreciation for what he did and, and how much he did in, in the eighties and stuff. And, Marvel, and a wonderful but, guy and an important editor. Also important, yes. worth mentioning those, but not Frank Miller. But, but yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at, you look at what he put, you look at the, what he put down on the page and you're like, yeah, it's, it's a story. You know, I mean, it's just, it's hard to get excited about it. Right. I mean, yeah. and that's, again, it's like, it's exactly like you're saying. It's not to take anything away from him or his role as an editor or as an artist or anything like that, but like, it's just, it lacks that certain je ne sais quoi, right? Like, uh, you know, that, that Miller's work had, uh, and certainly at the time. Yeah. So. Yep. I agree. Yes. Sean, you've been so quiet, so unusual. I'm sorry. What do you have to say about all this? That. Sounds good? Yeah. All right. I'm kind of of the opinion that this is one of those stories that people do have to read. Just, I'm not a DC guy, I read Watchmen, so I assume that everyone should have to read this. Yeah. Yes. If you have to read Watchmen, you have to read this. Damn it's part it. of comics history. It is. I don't know if I'd put it on the level of Watchmen, but it's pretty no, good. No, no, probably not. But, um, I mean, it's, it has a reputation in the collector's market. It has a reputation with people of a certain age that read this at the time it came out. And I think they're both justified. It's an important work. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So, so go find it if you haven't read it already, for God's sake. Absolutely. Is there anything else we want to say about it, Zach? Have we kept you too long? Uh, I I got to be rolling here pretty quick, like, but uh, but you haven't kept me too long yet. So, uh, do you have enough time to pimp some things that you'd want to pimp before you go? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do that real quick, and then um. Then I'll make like a banana and get out of here. Yeah. Love that joke. All right. <laughs> well, me too. Uh, anyway, by the way, thank you for having me on. This was wonderful. This is really fun. I loved, I love doing this kind of thing. It reminds me how much I miss podcasting with Ben. Aww. Yeah, man. I know, right? I, yeah. Blame, let's, I mean, it's not actually Ben's fault, but let's just, if you could publicly blame Ben Teed for our show not coming out, I'd be happy to. That, that's okay with me. It's totally not his. Just for the record, it's not actually his fault. But like, I don't mind shaming him in, into thinking it, it is. No, so. he's the worst. Yeah, he's just a bad human. I mean, <laughs> so, he's so selfish and mean. Yes, and he spit. He spit on my mom, and I was like, "Don't spit on my mom." He's like, "Shut up! <laughs> I do what I want. I spit on everybody's mom. That's how I greet them." That sounds. Like, that's just like him. It, it is. That's how he said it. I was like, that's rude. And he's like, that's, that's just the way I roll. You better get used to it. I'll punch you in the mouth. <gasps> so I, I didn't want him to hit me again. So. Right. Right. <laughs> so no more podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. I was like, okay, dude, whatever you say, just don't hit me. Please don't hit me. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, if I, if folks are interested in, uh, what I do, um, they could go to my website, which sort of links out to everything, which is zackcruzy.com. It's Z-A-C-K-K-R-U-S-E. It's just my Tumblr blog. Um, and there's links there that will take you to Mystery Solved, 
um, when the site's back up and running. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and then, but we'll also take you to Appleseed Con, uh, which can, which you can also go directly to at appleseedcon.com. And next year, uh, we're, the guest list is still growing, still building at this point because we're like seven months out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we've already secured Jaime Hernandez for next year. Oh, so nice. that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I know, right? I'm super excited about Jaime Hernandez. Wait, so those two go around and do stuff, uh, without each other? Yes, they do. That's amazing. And I'm, uh, there is a slim possibility that, um, that, uh, I may be, uh, I may be seeking to get Beto too, but I've just gotta kind of figure out what I'm going to be doing with a couple other guests first and just sort of play it by ear. Um, but, but anyway, Jaime is definitely confirmed and, uh, he will be there and, uh, along with a lot of other really wonderful folks. Um, and it's just a good time. It really, and, I, uh, I will speak from personal experience. Um, it's a fun show. And you'll see great things, and it's not super overcrowded or miserable. You won't be hating your life as you're in the con. But um socially, just a great time. Great yeah. time. I mean... And, yeah, and that... Oh, go no, ahead. That, that's all. It's, I love my Yeah, that... And that makes me so... I mean, that that warms the cold black cockles of my dead heart. Like, like that. that's what I want for the show. I, I mean... And, you know, you asked me what got me into this stuff before. I mean, that's, even though I sort of already had this interest and passion for comics anyway, I mean, it's really the community that, that made it happen and the friendships. I mean, make, being friends with you and the EOC guys and, you know, this, that, and the other. I mean, that's the thing that's really driven me and, and, and made this whole thing worthwhile. It's the, it's the community aspect of it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I could, I could sit at home and jerk off over art all day, but. <laughs> and you and, should. And as I should be, but, but without, but without people like, you know, like you guys to talk about this stuff with, you know, I mean, it is, you know, it, it does become masturbatory at a certain point. I mean, the community makes it worthwhile. Um, and, and I, I hope, I think, and I hope Appleseed has done a good job of sort of bringing elements of the community together to really share how wonderful it is, um, how, how wonderful the medium is. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, so anyway, the website, uh, AppleseedCon, uh, if people want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Zach Cruzy. It's spelled the same way as the website. I'm not, not very clever. Um, and, uh, my article on Steve Ditko and his contributions, uh, with the amazing Spider-Man and, uh, how that sort of rolled into his work at Charlton on Blue Beetle and, uh, and the question and beyond, uh, that, that article will be coming out through a journal called Studies in Comics, which I believe should be out at the end of the year or beginning of next year. Sweet. So, Yes. Whew. We can all use some more Steve Ditko edumacation. Yes, we can. Yes, you should, because there's not a lot of it out there. No, I just know that I, hope that I didn't finally... love him on ROM. Oh. <laughs> uh, he is great on ROM. <laughs> He's great everywhere. And someday he'll be at Appleseed. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe in someday it. Someday before he dies, right? He'll, he'll, do, he'll, do, he'll do one show. Or after. Yeah, or after hey, it could be there. You just got to get power of attorney, and you can roll his dead bones in there. Weekend at Bernie's at Appleseed Comic Con. <laughs> I like that idea. Every time you put, <laughs> anytime, every time you put on like a Benny Goodman album or something, like he dances. Like his... <laughs> I want that so bad. <laughs> I not not as badly as I do, Jerry. Oh. So. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so that's that's where you can sort of find me lurking around, causing trouble. Awesome. 
And, and again, thanks, thanks so much. This is this is oh, delightful. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. So thanks for having me, guys. Well, it's our pleasure because you're the best, and I love you. So there. Oh, I love you too, Jerry. Looking forward to seeing you again soon. Yes, yes, I'm sure that we will. Uh, well, it, at least um, if you come to the MSU, uh, if you come to the MSU Comics Forum, I'll be there. I've never been uh, to it. Like, I got to yes, do that. That's like in March, I think. Yeah, I'm going to try to make it this year. It's interesting. It's a it's it's a really small show. I mean, there's like a really small artist alley, and then there's um, panel like academic panel discussions all day. But Sergio Aragones is going to be there this <gasps> year. I saw you post that. I'm excited. So. So that's that's really cool. Uh, they always get like they always get like a really great guest. Last year they had Stan Sakai. This year they got Sergio. So oh, Stan, I'm um, so I'm sad sure. for Stan right now. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, because his poor wife. Yeah. But it seems like she's been struggling that with that for a while. Sure. You hate to say it's for the best, but right. like, right. You know, you hate to see people suffer. So anyway, it's not really not really my to say. Sure. Hey, let's not end it on a downer. No. I'll give you a hug when I if. I'll give you a hug if I see you at the at the comics. Club. All right, I will grope you. So there. Yeah, that's you should. I'm a one up in front of in front of everyone. <laughs> like while I'm while I'm giving my while I'm giving a presentation, like you should just come up in the middle of it and just just hang on me. All right. Just hug me and just just hold me and just make me feel warm. Don't give me ideas. All right, Zach. I think I just did. Uh, you yeah. did. You did. You totally did. <laughs> It's 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 fine. It's gonna work out great. All right. Well, you have things to do, so we're gonna take pity on you and let you out of here. Thank you so much. Yes, I I would much rather be talking with you, but uh, <laughs> the the grind. I need to get back to it. So show up. anyway, I'll talk to you. show enough. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. All right, All right see you. Bye. That was and some knowledge just dropped by Zach. Zach Cruz is my hero. I said it before. I'll say it again. Damn. I love that guy. I mean, he. He's no better. His life, and he's. he's he, I'm not going to agree with you there. <laughs> I love the Baron, but um, he's a racist pig, and he hates mutants. And I love mutants, new mutants especially. Yeah, you would never call them muties. I. You don't have. Damn, you do have proof of that. I thought it was cute. I did. I was shocked that you were getting steamrolled for. It was a term of endearment. I had no idea that it meant something yeah. bad. I, how would I know based on all the reading of X-Men that I've done? It's, it's a tough world out there. Tough world, Sean. It's, it's time that we, uh, we should probably get to something positive. You know what people like? You know what makes people happy? What? Uh, weddings. Yeah. I, actually, that's probably a lie. I hate going to weddings. I do. If you're too. getting married, don't invite me because I think that you just want a gift and I don't want to sit there and you're going to stick me at a table with somebody I don't like. But if I was going to this wedding, I'd be pumped up because I would get to share a beer with the fuzzy elf. Yeah. We are discussing Jerry's two favorite comics. Possibly. Possibly. They are way up there. I, I gotta put some serious thought into what are my favorite comics. But, Uncanny X-Men number 172 and 173, in my humble opinion, are perfect comic books. This is it, man. This is, this is all I asked for out of a comic book. A wedding. And, yeah. I mean, this is, you get, you get the superhero adventure at the end. Oh, but there's like some espionage elements involved. You get those baseball X-Men moments where you see them as a, the family. And, um, you just, like, okay, 
We didn't get into it when we were talking with Zach about the Wolverine miniseries, but the end of that miniseries is so wonderful to me. It's all exposition in that last page, but it's um Wolverine kind of like given the what happened to them during summer vacation after that senior year, you know, like um he talks about how he spent the spring healing from the wounds he suffered in his battle with Shingen at the end of the miniseries and how he and Mariko made up and uh, without saying the words, he, he says uh, that he sent a letter to the X-Men and, and he wished that he could see the looks on their faces when they opened it and they show the looks on their faces when they open it. And they're all smiles because it's a fucking wedding invitation and it's a big picture of an ugly looking Wolverine and an ugly looking Mariko. And you go, oh, that's pretty cool. And it gives the details of the wedding and then you get Wolverine writing, hey, fuzzy elf, be sure you bring the beer or whatever he says. Um, but it's such a wonderful ending to that story, man. And it just chokes me up like, do it. He's, he's, Do it. He's there. Like, he, this girl that he's been wooing for, what, 70 issues now? Something yeah. like that? Like, he fell instantly madly in love with this woman. Whoa. When he, when he first, when he first met <laughs> her. And, um, and he's there. Like, he's achieved the unachievable. She, unachievable. She has agreed to marry him. And he's telling the people that mean more to him in the world than anything. And right, there was probably only one invitation for this wedding that Logan side sent out. That's it. It's probably yeah. the one. And Scott's in the background like, fucking finally. I mean, Gene's <laughs> dead, but if, if she well, does have him come back, at least he'll finally get off her back. Now he's just got to worry about Professor X. Oh, he's got use of his extremities again. <laughs> uh that old bastard, that dirty old bastard. I'll give you a hundred dollars if you can guess what uh, cover the Baron's gonna mock up for the artwork. I'll bet I know. <laughs> but one something I just love is that the very last panel of that Wolverine miniseries is the cover of 172. And not only that, but Paul Smith takes what what Frank Miller does and he Paul Smithifies it. You get a handsome, rugged Wolverine and a beautiful Mariko. Yeah. And they just look so freaking perfect together. Like nothing is ever going to split them up. And you just have to ignore the samurai sword <laughs> projecting out of Wolverine's chest on that cover. Yeah. Uh, but man, what an awesome start. And when you open the book, you see Wolverine greeting his friends in Japan, and he's he's got his his samurai suit on, and he's looking dapper and and clean. I like how you say samurai suit. I don't know what you Dude's call that shit. Dude's wearing a fucking kimono. All right, kimono. I don't um, know. That's probably not it either. But you know that in that panel, Colossus is thinking, "Look at this chump." Meets this girl, all of a sudden starts wearing a dress. Whatever. Wolverine doesn't eat quiche. That's all I know. That's true. But Colossus didn't even cook it, eat it. He just made it. That makes it worse. <laughs> it's worse. So, 
uh, Kitty brings Lockheed. Lockheed's I do have to admit, along. When I, when I first see this first panel of Mariko, the one thing I couldn't help get out of my mind was the fact that if this wedding goes through, Wolverine's then related through family to Sunfire. And Sunfire's a dick. Yeah. Those two would be quite a pair on a team. Right? Or at Christmas dinner. Or whatever their version of that is. Yeah. This is all about Japanese culture, and I feel like I've still learned nothing about it. But I love the way the story begins, because when we last left the X-Men, Rogue had just been forced down their throat, and she's now a member of the team, but Wolverine doesn't know that yet. And uh she shows up with the team, and Wolverine says there's still someone standing on the stoop. Are you not going to invite her in? And, and Wolverine says, if it were up to me, Miko, I'd cut out her heart. You gotta admit, I don't know. Like, I understand story-wise that it makes sense, and I'm happy that she's there later on for what happens and the bond that's created between uh, Logan and Rogue in these two issues. Like, I uh, love that. And yeah. I don't, but there is a part of me, when reading the story for the first time, she pops in the doorway, and I'm like, who the fuck? Who just shows up to a wedding? Yeah. What kind of an asshole? Right. Yeah. I... Who, Rogue, you should have stayed at the mansion. It's, Maybe she never learned how to control her powers because she was jet-setting off to Japan for weddings she wasn't invited <laughs> to instead of staying at the school with the other kids learning how to control her powers. Right. Oh, I'm so conflicted at this point, reading this this book back then. I just... She's so demure and modest and so unlike the rogue that we see in Avengers Annual 10. And, and, and that run-in that they had with Carol Danvers in uh, when they're trying to break into the Pentagon. Yeah. Uh, that's This is just not that rogue. She She's cowed and she's embarrassed that she was that person. And it's like written all over her beautifully drawn face. Like I, I instantly love this rogue. Yeah. But I know what she's done. And I hate her for that. And I like, like resolving those feelings is so tough, man. I don't know. I, I mean, you, like I'm from one moment to the next, I'm, I'm with Mariko and then I'm with Wolverine. And I like, I, just, I love the way that the story evolves her character. Yeah. I love the fact that, that, um, Mariko is so open to her. Yeah. Like, I, because it just shows like how, Good she is for Logan. Yes. Yes. And she's the bomb. And, and I mean, that's, that's what she, her character has been in this story though, is that she, the right thing to do is invite her in with open arms because it's their wedding and she's a guest and that's what you do. And she will do it because that's what you do. And Mariko has always shown that she will do what is necessary. And unfortunately, <laughs> that doesn't always work out the best for Wolverine. Right. But, um, that rigidity, um, I, I don't know what to say about it, but, uh, you can't help but respect that. 
even though it tears you up inside when it hurts the characters that you love. Yeah. But as they're all greeting each other, you see looking in the window, the Silver Samurai freshly arrived from the New Mutants, issue 7. He's found out his father's still alive, and not only that, but he's just been killed by that motherfucker Wolverine. And he's come to claim his rightful place at the head of the family. Mariko's got no business running this family. It's a man's job, and by God, he's going to do it. But then looking over his shoulder, fans of the Wolverine miniseries will recognize is Yukio. And she's got Wolverine's back, even though he rejected her. Yep. I like the fact that the X-Men show up, and not two seconds later, fisticuffs. That's right. They bring bad news with them everywhere they go. I do love the Silver Samurai. I had the toy when I was a kid, but one of his arms fell off. It was a real bummer. Is it like the, his kung fu action arm or something? No, it was just he was kind of shittily made. Oh. <laughs> Go figure. He only moved like this. Yeah. yeah that's one of the arms arm. broke off. That's all my Star Wars figures. Yeah. I feel bad I handed them all to my kids. I was like, here's all my broke-ass Star Wars figures. <laughs> <laughs> They're 40 years old. Have fun. And there they sit, right there. Yeah, we'll have to edit the 20 minutes that you and I spent crying about how great the Star Wars trailer was. Yes. Oh, man. Fuck, man. I cannot wait. So good. I'm going to... I loved the shit out of episode one the first five times I saw it. It wasn't until other people got to me and they were like, you didn't notice how bad that was? And I was like, oh... Yeah, I guess it kind of was. I remember the, I like the experience of seeing episode one, but I wasn't necessarily blown away by it. But shit, man. The ending one. pumped me up so yeah. hard. I gotta go back to the Duel of them. the Fates music when that started in, and then they had like the Jedi's fighting the Sith guy, and then the princess trying to get the throne back. I was like, yeah! And I just try to ignore the 40 minute pod race scene in the middle. Yeah. Alright. Yeah, X-Men! So, um, one of the things that great is obviously, like, we didn't go much into it, uh, when we were talking with Zach, but, um, Yukio is known as the Wild One, uh, she's pretty crazy, and I found her, um, she was always a character that I never quite got, and now doing, while doing the reread, like, suddenly her inclusion and her friendship with Storm makes so much more sense now. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, she's the one who really first starts to bring Storm. Like, Storm's already gone through the Callisto thing. Like, she's clearly changing. But then I think Yukio is one of the people who we'll see um, pushes her over the edge. But so Yukio is a very important figure in both Wolverine and Storm's life. And she's one of those characters that you'll see pop up in and out. And it's always a delight. Mm-hmm. Well, the the thing is, she's... The perfect match for Wolverine. Like, they are absolute kindred spirits, but she's, um, but in a way that's completely awful for him. Right. They'd be hell on wheels and they'd both wind up dead. Right. Which is exactly what she wants, is to have a life that gives her a death that's meaningful. That is all she wants out of life. And, and so they, for a moment, were happy together in the worst kind of, (laughs) <laughs> insert rock music uh cliche you know like they, they were just terrible for each other and Mariko 
is Wolverine's opposite but perfect match. From yeah. that perspective, like they balance each other and she brings out the good man in him. So in the same way Yukio is is like the Wolverine to Storm's Mariko, you know, and she pulls the bad side out of Storm and, and makes a more complete Storm. Yeah. Kind of like when Karma absorbs her brother. You know, it gives the complete Karma. No. Which you never see in the... Karma's dead. I feel so bad that I spoiled I still, like, am shocked that you didn't... Damn. It's in this story. Yeah. Is it? Do they? Storm mentions it, yeah. So they all start gathering around, like, everything's, uh... Storm realizes that Yu-Gi-Oh's insane. She runs off. And, uh, they're, they're back inside the house. And, uh, Storm starts to basically fill in Logan on the other half of what's been going on. Like, well, you've been dealing with this and you filled us in. Here's what's been going on with the new mutants. And she mentions that, um, Shan has been, Shan has been killed. Um, one of the things though in this, uh, so the X-Men and Logan are catching up. Mariko goes off and finds this note, which is basically, a note from Harada, and uh she basically feels like she has to atone for her father's crimes, that he's, you know, embarrassed the family name, mm-hmm. and she's got to go make it right, not Logan. And uh M- Mariko has a maid go get some tea for the X-Men while she sneaks out to go do what she needs to do, and Viper knocks that chick out. And takes her place. But one of the things, before we get into what happens next, that I really like about that last panel on this page, if you're reading in the trade, it's 109. The very bottom panel of this page, just, like, in a really wonderful... Just, like, look at the way that Rogue is sitting by herself. Yeah. Like, she's completely cut off. Even the position that she's in is really guarded. Like, her knees are kind of, like, tucked into her chest a little bit more than they should be. Mm-hmm. Her arms are, like, placed in her lap. Really, like, she's kind of almost... Um, she is right now in perfect New Mutant Alan White subway position. <laughs> she is taking up as little space as humanly possible. Right. Meanwhile, the rest of the X-Men, you know, Colossus is kind of sprawled out all over the couch, got his arm around Kitty, Nightcrawler's sitting on the very top of it, Wolverine's got his shirt open, like everybody else is relaxed, comfortable, right. but there in the corner is this really like, man, and it's one of the, it's just subtle. And, and, and I mean, buttoned up, because yeah. she's, she can't touch anybody, so her costume she kind of reflects her body language, you know, it's, it's all just uptight, like uncomfortable, yeah. closed off. I just really like Doesn't belong that. there. I Yeah, I agree. So, uh, the servant, who we know is Viper, serves everybody the tea. Logan realizes after he takes a sip that it doesn't taste right, slaps it out of Storm's hand, turns around, everybody else is out cold. And, uh, Viper sneaks off. She gets into a car, drives away, thinking she's got away with it. But, bam, bitch... <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh's in the front seat driving the fucking car. That's right. Gotcha. Her tagline. Gotcha. I love that. Always love that. Yep. And then, uh, we have Can a... Can I just say, before we go oh, on... yeah. All the fe- You know, and I, I do like to talk about this, but... Jerry all, loves the ladies. All the females in this book are so exquisitely rendered, except for Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. I, I feel like 
his impression of her based on the way Miller drew her was that she wasn't really that attractive. <laughs> but um she really isn't attractive the way he draws um, her. Yukio reminds me of a character from one of my all-time favorite films, Steve Martin classic, The Jerk. <laughs> um, she reminds me of the motorcycle-riding circus freak <laughs> who shows... Steve Martin, his special purpose. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's who Yukio reminds me of. <sighs> then we have a cutscene to Alaska. We got Cyclops brooding behind a desk doing his best Professor Xavier. Alex comes in, wonders what's bothering him. And uh, Scott tells him that he's going through Madeline's file. Because it's just too big of a coincidence. Her personal record from high school? Or her permanent record? Yeah, he's going through her file at the employment place to try to figure anything out about her because he's still a little too nervous about the connection between Gene and Alex is all, bro, just relax, man. Live it up. Enjoy it. Turns out Scott's got reason to be concerned. As we'll learn... 50 issues for right. 100 issues from now. <laughs> Playing that long game, baby. That's right. Now, do we know at this point, Claremont had no idea there was going to be a Mr. Sinister. Right. And that Maddie Pryor was going to become whatever her name, the Goblin Queen. None of that was planned, right? Right. Is that on the record? I, I doubt that it would be that far ahead. Maybe there was a name, but I doubt it. Yeah. I, I think that maybe the original idea is much closer to what New Mutant talked about two yeah. episodes Damn, ago. Man, that was... I love that story idea. Yeah. So, I would have been so much happier with Fuck that. Fuck yeah. In fact, that's what I'm going to pretend is continuity from now on. <laughs> For me, having heard him say that, that really sticks out as the one thing that bums me out the most about Claremont's run. Yeah. I like. I take everything else whole cloth. Like, Give it all to me. I love it, but... This little thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into it though. Clear eyes, man. I'm looking forward to reading Inferno again because yeah, me I too. never really loved it, and I, I'm hoping that I'll like embrace it more. When I did my, when I did the first reread I ever did, the only reread I ever did of the X Men, I think by the time that I got to the 200s, I was so excited to get the stuff. To the stuff from my youth that I kind of burned through it pretty quickly. Uh-huh. And I think I missed some really, like, subtle stuff that I see now. You know? Like, there's a panel. Holy shit. It's probably not in these. Man, there is a panel of Madeline Pryor that cracks me up. It's not in these two issues. We'll talk about it in one of the upcoming episodes. So she brings home the bottle of champagne to Scott, and she's like, let's get blitzed and fool around. <laughs> like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. That... That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the the private. I'm worried that my interest in everything, like, I'll realize that, like, my excitement for the material dips once Claremont isn't the sole guy running the ship. Uh-huh. Like, the second that we start to get into, like, X-Factor, which is, I mean, we're hauling ass. Pretty soon we're going to be juggling. Yep. X-Men. Yeah. X-Factor. New Mutants. There are going to be so many interesting There's people out there who the want to work for us. <laughs> <laughs> you you will make the same 
money that we make. Yes. Guaranteed. Be our henchmen, please. It's true. But yeah, man, that X Factor stuff. There, I mean, I'm super... so many broken hearts over that book. I almost feel bad that I love it as much as I do. I'm super excited because there's a lot of that early stuff where I feel like I read like key issues because I was like, oh, I gotta know what this is. But I think I got the complete run. Like I finished my run at one of those yeah. Back to the Past auctions, which they have all the time. They have one coming up on December 13th. It's on Holy line. shit! It's got so much good stuff in this it. This isn't gonna come out before then, is it? Oh fuck! No, it's not. We got done with the metal and prior stuff, so now yeah. getting back to the book. I am excited about reading X Factor though. Um, cuts back to Tokyo, and we got uh, Mariko coming in to meet with the Silver Samurai and some kind of moderator guy, right? A, a go between yes. for the two of them. Yes, Nabatone Yakuza, maybe. I don't know. Yakuza. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. He know. seems trustworthy. Uh, yeah, I don't know if having the last name Yakuza is, uh... It's fine. It's fine. Everything's cool. Uh, so, the point of this, this meeting... This is Tom Gang Member. <laughs> um, the point is that the Silver Samurai wants Mariko to just step aside. Yeah. Like, here's what should happen... Do the right thing and just step aside and let me take over the the uh, the family. And she's like, "Fuck no." Yeah. And uh, he says she's just signed her death warrant. I love the fact that, like, basically, like Silver Samurai is about to kill her, and Mariko like lashes out at the the in, the in between dude, and she's like, "You guaranteed me safe conduct," and he's all, "I made my pledge to Lady Mariko." You are not she. And then, oh, bam! surprise! Maybe Yukio's not as ugly as we thought, because she passed for Mariko, but it was, it's Yukio! It was dark. It was dark. It's in a dark warehouse. Fair enough. And uh the second fight between Yukio and Silver Samurai is another good one. And whenever there are these battle scenes... uh Paul Smith reverts to a very similar panel layout to what Frank Miller did yep. in his miniseries. And uh, in this case, it's a six-panel horizontal grid. And later, in his in Wolverine's ultimate battle with the Silver Samurai, which I just love. It's not as savage as Frank Miller's battle between Wolverine and Shingen, but I think I love it more. Yeah. It is so wonderful. Now, I mean, uh, but, but that's like a four panel grid that's also very similar to what Miller did. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't understand what, like how you said that you read some reviews of this today to kind of get ready for it. And you said that people weren't as, uh, pumped up about the Paul Smith stuff. I would just like to t- say that, um, those people are idiots. I would like to say they can eat a bowl of dicks. Yeah, Paul Smith is glorious. Paul Smith could actually illustrate my future death. And I'd be like, can't wait for that shit to happen because it looks beautiful. Right. If he were to draw my death and put it in a file that said, do not open until Jerry dies, I would look forward to that day so much. So much. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Even without the pages. Yeah. 
I can leave that file closed. <laughs> Fucker. Uh, so, I just want you to know that your funeral, I'm going to uh, Viking funeral you. I'm going to kick you out into a river. You're going to be on a, a yeah. little wooden raft. I'm going to throw your jam pieces on as kindling. And we're going to light you up. They're going with me, man. Don't leave them behind. Do not leave them behind oh, for no. some dipshit to get yeah. it. A third of the price. Oh, my God. You know what will happen? Actually, fuck that. I'm going to keep your jam pieces. I'm just going to put them into a paper shredder. Or I'm going to cut up the little squares. And then I'm going to sell those individually. Yeah. Jam pieces no more. <laughs> pieces of jam pieces. <laughs> We're going to burn you with nothing but Strucker sketches. Those will burn. Wait, if you were going to give me a Strucker-style funeral, I'd have to be gassed. <laughs> then burned. Yes. Is it snowing? <sighs> nope, that's McDade. <laughs> that's not staying in. <laughs> <laughs> so while while Yukio is mid battle with Silver Samurai, um Storm shows up to help out and yeah. she gets um how, how does this work? Her she ignites a bunch of fireworks because of course this is a fireworks warehouse. Right. But also her lightning gets sent back into her? Yeah. So she's just not quite as in control of her powers as she should be. There's a little bit of self-doubt going on. There's a bunch of stuff happening. And she, but she goes all binary. Yeah. She's like, yeah, binary slash magma. But uh Yukio saves her bacon. It's taking everything I have not to jump ahead to Demon Bear. Just so you know. <laughs> and uh, they, they jump into the water to safety off the pier, into the water. And as they surface, Storm sees something very familiar. And yep. it's the Phoenix. First time she saw this, also in the drink. And here it is again. Another hint at what's to come in future issues. Yeah. And she doesn't know what caused it, but just as quickly as it appeared, it's gone. And uh begin the story of Storm and Yukio bonding. Yeah. Then it cuts to uh the hospital after Mariko and Storm get away. And uh obviously the rest of the X-Men are in it really bad condition uh rogue isn't though so now it is time logan basically says his goodbyes to mariko tells her that he's got to go take care of some shit take care of her stupid half brother right although i gotta admit when uh St- when wolverine asks about the poison rogue says she's half alien yeah is she just, is she just pulling that out of her head because it's carol's like is I assume it's because it's Carol's memories. Right. She's like, oh, I'm half alien, but she's right. really not. Because I always thought that it was just like, oh, I touched Logan and I don't have the poison anymore. <laughs> that would have been a way easier explanation. Yes. But it would spoil the end of the story because they'd be like, oh, just right. like she did before. Right, exactly. Half alien, she's fine. I mean, she is nigh invulnerable. Right, And you exactly. would assume that means for poisons, too. It. yeah. It's I'm comics! In. But yes, uh, Carol Danvers got her powers from the Kree. Yep. And an infusion of Kree DNA somewhere. I don't remember that. Anyway, so Wolverine is on a mission. Rogue insists she's going with him. I'm an X-Men, Mr. Xavier said so. Work with him then, kiddo, not me. So 
they're already Wolverine's an unwilling participant in this team up, but Rogue is determined she's gonna this is her opportunity to prove that she's one of them. And yep. she's gonna take it. X-Men Sweet cover on issue one seventy three. Yes. And man I love this cover. Yeah. I don't love the coloring because it Wolverine's eyes always look weird to me. Yeah. But I love Looks the Looks like he's got him closed and you can see his eyelids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um I love Let me just This is a <laughs> this is this is a really iconic Wolverine pose and this is the pose that made Art Adams famous. Yeah. You know? Paul Smith's Wolverine pose. So there's that. Opens up with them uh giving some people the business, looking for some answers. Yeah, a couple guys flying through a, a bar window. That's always a good start. And then in, in the, the next two pages after that first splash, you've got Wolverine having really roughed up this thug. And Rogue is just leaned up against the bar looking good. Yeah. Watching it, saying, you don't, you don't want to mess with him. I'm telling you now. And somebody tries to stab her from behind and it just does nothing. And she just body slams the dude effortlessly. And these two, I mean, you just know, you've got two superheroes that are on the shady side of things and will do whatever it takes to get this job done. Yeah. I love the two of them together. Yeah. Speaking of two together, uh, you've got Storm and Yukio again, and Storm's hair is fucked up. Yep. And they're trying to get some uh shelter right now, get away, kind of regain composure. Sure. And uh, basically the dude's house that they stop at, he's like, Yukio, you're marked for death. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, I don't want any part of this silver samurai is coming after you. Get out of here. Good luck. And so uh, then all of a sudden some little uh, thugs roll up on Yukio and Storm. And they bust out their Michael Jackson Beat It style switchblades. <laughs> and uh, we start to see Yukio wearing off on Storm. She's like, all right. I don't have Let's any do control this. over my powers, but YOLO. <laughs> That's right. Yodo. Yodo. You Yodo. only die once. You only die once, she says. Yodo. Yodo. Uh so then we get to see Wolverine and Storm working together again. Or uh, Wolverine and, and Rogue working together again. And here you see kind of Rogue's getting a little too comfortable with her invulnerability because she's yeah. just walking around like she doesn't give a fuck. Nothing's gonna hurt her. But Wolverine finds something that will and trips her with a slick little trip move that saves her bacon. Yeah. I love the next page, the panel of sequence, that she's kind of on top of Wolverine after he knocked her over. Right, so he trips her, saving her from a laser, and then... She's on top of him, and she makes a joke about how a save like that deserves a reward, and she goes to kiss him, and he pushes his hand up against the bottom of her throat, or the bottom of her jaw. Like he's going to pop his claws through her head. And he says, don't ever pull a stunt like that. Make a threat like that to me or any other X-Men, even as a joke. He's going to fucking pop his claws. Like, I liked that because I liked the fact that, like, the rogue we see in the beginning of these issues is the one who desperately wants to be accepted by the X-Men. Yeah. And in this moment, she gets a little cocky. She's kind of sure of herself. She thinks she can handle all this. And you see a little bit of the mystique. 
come out in her upbringing. Like, she kind of falls back. And I like the fact that Wolverine really quickly, not in a fucking total dick way, but it's just like, listen, here's the deal. You want me to accept you? Knock it the fuck off. Like, it's time to be an adult. We're here to do some shit. Let's not fuck around. Like, and I love the fact that, like, you're about, like, she's such an idiot in this moment, though. Like, you're about to kiss, like, even as a joke, you're making that joke about a dude who was madly in love or whatever, or in lust. (laughs) With the only person that accepted you. Well, well, like, (laughs) A, with the person who accepted you, but B, like, think about the damage that she did to Carol. Yeah. And how much he cared for Carol. So that moment where she jokingly talks about, like, taking his... Like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, you fucked up one of my best friends. Like, I'm not... I'm I'm accepting of you if you get through this without being a fuck-up. But right now, yeah. I'd rather pop my claw through your head and go finish this by myself. Yeah, I don't know, man. I look at that. I agree with everything you said, but, you're but like, I also Damn, think, she looks good. yeah, I'm thinking I might be popping a boner claw. <laughs> <laughs> Snicked. <laughs> oh, oh, fantastic! I'm sorry I penetrated your abdomen. <laughs> oh, Yodo, motherfucker! Yodo, Yodo, Yodo! Kiss me, Yodo. <sighs> So, they find this moderator dude. I gotta find a better word. Whatever he does. Well, he's a crime lord, right? Is that the deal? Yeah. Is, okay, god. But I think he, because he's so high up in the boss ranks that he was kind of the moderator, make sure that nothing bad happened. Because, like, who'd wanna upset the Tony Soprano? You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he should have been less worried about them and more worried about himself. Yeah. Because they find him. Mrs. Bates style. Yes. He did. Oh, he just spoiled Psycho for so many people. I've still never seen Shut Psycho. Shut the fuck up. I swear, dude. It's one of those things now where I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Well, plus to it, I mean, you hear, like, there's so, like... Because I told Ashley around Halloween, because she doesn't know the twist. And I was just like, like, don't allow anyone to tell you what the fucking twist is. Yes. I had the sixth sense ruin for me, because I was in the theater, and I thought to myself, I think it's really weird that he doesn't change his clothes. My brother spoiled it as we were walking in. Why didn't you just walk out of his life? Oh, I have. I have. Was it because of the sixth sense? Uh, that we were on the ropes already. At that, <laughs> no, point. that was the thing that broke it. You were yeah. like, uh, I can't. That's how seriously Jerry takes spoilers, people. If you're on Twitter day of and you're being one of those, if I cut my brother out of my life, yeah. what do you think I'm gonna cut out of you? With his boner. With <laughs> my boner claw. <laughs> The last thing you see coming. Ew. Wait a sec. Was that a play on words? You did it. Yay. Elsewhere. Storm and Yukio were, uh, beating up the, uh, street gang. Storm is really embracing her new self. Her wild self. Yukio's madness has infected her. 
And she welcomes it. And so do I. And now, Sean, we are at a scene where some hired muscle is guarding the hospital wing. And this is a page we've talked about before. You really dig this page. Yeah. I think it's awesome, too, because you get, like, the long shot of the, the door, so you assume that everything bad is going to happen out of that door. Like, I'm waiting for somebody to bust it through. And then on the side, you get some ninja stars and a guy. And you see it's Viper and some hand ninjas. I wish it like this would happen at my hospital. It would make work so much more interesting. <laughs> you know how much paperwork would be involved <laughs> in this? That's true. You don't want that. I took a photo of all the... Because I had a four-day weekend. Oh, my God. I thought my Monday sucked. And it did, but not that bad. But then, Viper's all, I want no witnesses, no... She's going to kill everybody in the hospital to finish this. And through those two doors where you were expecting something to come from happen, Rogue comes blasting through it, full Captain Marvel speed, clotheslines these fucking ninjas. It's awesome. Yep. Stacks them up like cordwood. But they just fall to the ground ready to kick some ass. Yeah. Gotta do better than that, Rogue. Yeah. And then you get, while she's taking care of them, you get that Empire Strikes Back moment where Wolverine comes walking out the door, and there's Darth Vader waiting for him. Except Darth Vader's dressed in silver, and he's got a samurai sword. Awesome. Damn, man, this fight is good. These two take chunks out of each other, literal chunks, and they fuck each other up. For I got, I got one, one tiny two, art critique, though. Three pages. Let me have it. If you're going to draw the costume, draw it correct. Uh-oh. Silver Samurai's missing the... <gasps> you're right. The flag on his... Does he start with it? He yeah. does not start yeah, with it. Yeah, he does. Well, earlier in the issue... Oh, he does. He has it on the first panel. Yep. Damn, dude. I know, I hate when that shit happens. I'm talking to you, Dodson. <laughs> I was just thinking, man, he pulled a Dodson. Dodson! Dodson! We've got Dodson here! <laughs> oh, he did draw Spider-Man's webs on it, though. It's true. No, he didn't. Yeah, he this is, is this is the highlight of the two issues He is me. kicking Silver Samurai's ass, although if it wasn't for that unbreakable skeleton, Wolverine would have... The, the Silver Samurai's got some pretty good moves in here, because the one where he kind of twists him around and stabs him, and you see the shocked look on his face as it goes through his... That look. That is... Cool. Oh, man, it's so perfect. He drives the sword right through Wolverine's abdomen, and the look on Wolverine's yeah. face, like... Yeah. And then, man, he Samurai swords him right in the back of the neck, and if it wasn't... I swear, if it wasn't for the bones, man... His head would be lapped right off. I think right before that, Wolverine returns the favor. I think there are claws going into Silver Samurai's guts. There might be a knee to the nuts as well. But yeah, dude, that where Samurai chops him in the back of the neck, that is so... Yeah, that's brutal. That's how close to the end of Wolverine we were. Like, that clearly we hit a vertebrae instead of going between two of them. Yeah. And uh, Wolverine grabs onto his arm after that, snaps it. Mm-hmm. He's about to finish him off because the mask is off. He pops his claws, about to stick him in the dude's head, just like he did his father. It's like, you want to avenge your father so much? But Mariko stops him, mm-hmm. right? There she is, being the good influence on Logan again that he needs. 
she knows that it would destroy him if if he were to yep. finish him so she stops him and uh and then we get the, I mean this is this is what I think the story is building to we get uh viper coming in to save silver samurai and uh when she sees what wolverine's done to him she decides that she is just going to vaporize Wolverine with this yep. laser gun that she's got. But Rogue flies in fast enough to get in front of the blast. It's such a cool, like, you see Viper shoot, you see, like, the fallen silver samurai, you see the bullet, and you see Rogue get ahead of it, shoves Logan and Mariko out of the way. And Rogue catches the blast, and, the, like, Viper just sustains this blast. Yeah. It's just a beam. And it, it's doing serious damage to Rogue. But she's just taking it. And finally, Viper's gun blows up. Yep. And they teleport out of yeah, it. Yeah, she teleports out of there with Silver Samurai. But Rogue is, is hurt bad. Real bad. She's probably not going to make it. And um, Wolverine himself has just taken the beating of his life. And uh, has been grievously injured. But he tells Rogue that he's gonna save her. And she's, she's like, you can't do that, you need to save yourself. And he says, it's my risk, besides who's gonna stop me. And he's got her cradled in his arms. And then the camera just pulls way back. And in the last panel of the page, they're just this tiny little yeah. blob of two people. And he reaches down and he kisses her. Awesome. Love it, man. Clearly where Singer took some uh, liberties in the first X-Men movie. Yeah. I suppose. And then we go back to the uh, ancestral garden of Clan Yoshida. And, uh, I don't even want to read these pages again, man. I hate this ending. Yeah. I hate it. I hate the person on these panels, and I know we've talked before about a future story where you talk about um, this person meeting their end yes. and how sympathetic you felt towards them, and I just will never, ever feel that about well, this character. Ever. I felt that way because I hadn't read this. Yeah. This, on top of what he's done previously, kind of cinches the deal as that guy is a motherfucker... And so this person convinces, kind of messes with Mariko, and suddenly she's a little bit altered when she comes back. So, everybody, uh, it's Logan and Mariko's wedding day. And they're at the, uh, home, and Alex and Lorna and Corsair show up, and Scott introduces everyone to his very special friend, Madeline Pryor, and the second that... <laughs> That little Landro Caesar, <laughs> she busts out a fucking lightsaber. <laughs> and just wants to lop her head right off. Yep. And then we get the introduction after everyone's calmed down and uh Lilandra is made to understand that that's not Jean Grey, that's someone else. We get introduced to the very first time the character design that everyone loves Paul Smith for. Look, up in the sky, it's... Storm, Storm comes flying in, dressed in leather with a mohawk? 
Yeah. She asks Kitty if she likes it, and Kitty storms off crying. How could you? Oh, man. So, the story behind this is that they wanted to change her look at this point. Okay. Because her character was obviously changing. And Smith did this just as a joke. Okay. Like, this, like, never in a million years would they pick this design. I'm just going to do this just to fuck around. And they saw it, and they were like, well, we got to do this. And he was like, seriously? All right. (laughs) So um, be careful. When you screw around, you might get stuck with that. Yeah. Actually, kids, always be careful when you screw around, because you might get stuck with things. Yes. Disease, children, so on and so forth. Boner claws. Boner claws. Oh, I want a a McDade edit of all the Larry Hama Wolverine issues where Wolverine's just got three cocks coming out of each hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, so, whenever uh, he, and whenever Scott comes into the room, they just go limp. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Scott comments on Storm's new look, and she turns around and gives out the old goddess in shock as she takes one look at Madeline Pryor. Yeah. But everybody seems okay with it, which I think is weird. Yes. Well, they're, I mean, they're there for Wolverine's wedding. Right. And it's a happy day, and they're like, let me just file this away to cope with later, because it's, it's, damn, this is a- crazy. It's a pretty passive-aggressive dick move on Scott's part. Yes. You couldn't even have the real one, and now I'm banging the (laughs) look-alike. Enjoy your Chinese, motherfucker. (laughs) Chinese? Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Japanese. Well, that you're just speaking like Scott because he's an idiot. Enjoy your vaginal sushi roll. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's a pretty dick move on Scott's part. Hey, you know that woman that you loved? And she died, and you were bummed that you never got a chance to be with her? Well, I found an exact replica. Yes. I do like, um, there's a, there's a bit of a comedic bit where, uh, (laughs) Kitty asks Madeline to watch over Lockheed, and Madeline thinks that it's a cat. And there's a good little four panel, just, um, it's a little comedic (laughs) thing I, I liked. Madeline. Stunned, just kind of looking straight ahead like, what is in my lap right now? And she reaches over and grabs Scott by the tie and pulls him to her. And she says, just precisely, who are these people and what the blazes have you gotten me into? If only you knew. And then, Mariko enters. Looking awesome. Wolverine says that her beauty takes his breath away. And he's all pumped. Oh, and he's he's narrating the whole scene. Ugh. And then she says, stop the ceremony. Most Imperial Majesty, honored guest, there will be no wedding. And Wolverine, shocked, says, why? And she says, because, Gaijin, you are not worthy. Damn. Damn. Just, just, like, takes him down. And as she walks out of the room, everybody's shocked, everybody's sad. As she walks out of the room, you see a very familiar coat, cigarette, smoking hand. And a very, very, very familiar mustache. 
Yes, you do. And then we see the X-Men leaving, and Wolverine with the single tear. Who thought they'd see Wolverine cry, right? He is not alone. heartbreaker. I'm with you, my friend. I am with you. You think after that particular character, that familiar character, after doing what he did to another character that Logan loved, and now this, you don't think that he'd get a chance to die in a hospital bed years later? You don't. I would have expected him to stab that dude through the heart. With the real claws, not the boner one. I don't know. I'd probably violate him real bad first. This guy is the worst of the worst. Yep. So that's the end of issue 173. And it only... It's awesome right now. Yeah, but it's building. Oh, man. So good. It's build the last two issues of Paul Smith's run are still coming up, and god damn, what a finale. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing it, but you're going to have to wait an episode, because the next episode that you will get, not in two weeks, but in three days from the time that you should be listening to this, because you should be listening to this <laughs> on the day that it comes out, you will get a special Jerry and Sean Love Christmas special. That's right. Our second annual, all new, all different, giant sized Christmas pod. GX pod. Giant Christmas. Xmas pod. Xmas pod. It's coming we'll, up. We'll get it right. We've got some time. I'm excited, man. Yeah. I have no idea what we're going to do, but it's going to be special. We're still working it out. It's going to be amazing. There's going to be eggnog. There's going to be Jerry and I in footed pajamas. There's going to be a fireplace. It's going to be awesome. Yes. I actually looked today. They, that they, thousand light Christmas tree of yours? Five thousand, motherfucker. <laughs> five thousand. Everybody think I like that everyone thinks I'm kidding, but I am not. No. I actually told Ashley the other night, I was like, I think when we take the tree down this year, I have to cool it on the lights next year. Because you can't even tell that it's a tree anymore. It's just lights. It's just yeah. lights and ornaments. You could land a fucking plane on my house. You could. I will. Scott In Summers fact, would. I bet you if you, like... Like, my house looks like the phoenix just appeared in my living room. <laughs> but I was looking on, online today, and I found some uh, Wolverine zip-up pajamas with feet. <gasps> what? Do yeah, they have like triple X's? Uh, I'm going to look for them. I'm going to be there by then. We're going to be wearing I don't care, man. It's Christmas time. We're going to have some cookies. We're going to have some eggnog, some hot chocolate, some mulled cider. Yes. Yes. I want all of those things in me. Boner claws. I want them in me. <laughs> yes. So, that's it. We want to again thank Zach for being an awesome guest and dropping some educational knowledge on us. Hell yeah. Because it was way better than me and Jerry being like, Wolverine, that was awesome. When he stabbed that guy, that was awesome. How hot is Storm when Paul Smith draws her? That's that true. was awesome. That was awesome. Zach is awesome. Zach is awesome. Appleseed Con is awesome. You should all go to it. Fuck your New Yorks. Fuck your Chicago's. Fuck your Emerald City. Yeah. Portland. You want to go to Fort Wayne, Indy fucking Anna for Appleseed Comic Con. It's where the real fans are. That's where right. the people interested in comics are. Yeah. You want to buy your comics without fear of getting hit by a nine foot fucking cosplay wingspan? No. You go to Appleseed Con. I don't want those things to happen. I want to go to Appleseed. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's where you go. Yes. Yeah. I yes. hang out with real fans. Get drunk real with Steranko. I mean, you might even listen. I'm. This is a Sean guarantee. There is a 
It's a Sean 50-50 guarantee. There is a 50-50 chance that you could get shanked by Starenko if you go to Appleseed Con. I saw at least three guys get shanked last year. Don't you want to be a Starenko Twitter story? Yes. Go to Appleseed Con. I do everything I can to make it happen. So, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, as Logan and his lady Mariko would say... Sayonara.
uh, we have somebody bring their love for a specific story and tell us why it's awesome, and then we say, yeah, we like that too. Okay, well, I can do that. And then I, I usually cry in the end. Okay, well, I can do that. Um, he already, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he already started tearing up when we were just discussing <laughs> just a moment of the issue, so I'm yeah. Oh, really? Forward. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, at the end. I think oh, that at sure. the very end of this, we might get down to Jerry. Uh, <laughs> he might have had his heart broken by a Japanese woman. <laughs> or- I can neither confirm nor deny This episode has been brought to you by Cry for the Moon Productions. Cry for the Moon!